0: hopefully like me you're really looking forward to getting back to uh, physical church and we are busy doing various preparations to thinking about how we practically do church but in, in amongst all that busyness we don't want to lose sight of the opportunity we have to stop and think about the sort of church that we want to be those things that we value those values we exhibit those values we show when people come through our doors or as we live as followers of Jesus Christ out in our community and over these next few weeks we're going to be thinking about different values different things that are important to us and I think important to Jesus about the way that we act the way we behave and the way we treat others and the way that we do church and this morning we're going to be looking at the value of being distinctive. In my twenties I attended a church in Ipswich and had a small community of deaf people. It was great. Every service was signed, and we had people there who normally wouldn't be able to um, connect with a Sunday service, we were able to because of that signing. But there's one particular guy that I remembered who I'm guessing he was in his 40s, although uh, when I was in my 20s, everyone over the age of 30 seemed old, but he was deaf, he'd been deaf his entire life, and I remember chatting to him, and I was really surprised to find out that he, could, he didn't know sign language despite being deaf. His entire life, he did not know sign language. He was just starting to learn it. And I asked him why that was. It's because he went to a boarding school, a special school for deaf people. And they were taught to lip read. And the purpose for that was they wanted them to blend in with everyone else. They wanted them to seem like they were hearing people rather than deaf people is about not standing out, not being different, blending in with the crowds. And as a society, we like people to blend in. Yeah, there's people who stand out in the crowd, there's people who are different, but most of the time, we like people to agree with our values and the unofficial morality that is dictated by the masses and by media. It's a bit like a game of whack-a-mole where anyone that sticks their head too far up, we like to whack uh, back down and get them in line with everyone else. And maybe you're like that, I know I am. I like to fit in, I like people to like me. I want to maybe even impress people and I will buy things and create a facade that shows that I fit in with everyone else. In my particular neighbourhood, everyone seems to have nicely uh, trimmed lawns and they're always washing their cars and maybe I stick out a little bit like a sore thumb and and I feel that tension of wanting to be like everyone else. And yet when God called his people, the nation of Israel to to follow him and to be a shining light, an example to everyone else, he told them that he wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be distinctive. He wanted them to stand out. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, uh, God tells the nation of Israel that they need to drive out the other nations from the promised land because they will be a bad influence that actually if you're going to be my people if you're going to be my nation you need to separate yourself off from any negative influence anything that's going to sway you or or move you away from following him you shouldn't marry anyone who's a foreigner and it says this in verse 6 says for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And holiness has in its definition, I guess, this idea of being different, being distinctive, being set apart, being otherly. Just like God is holy, God is not like us, God is different, so God too asked his people to be holy, to be different. And what that meant for the nation of Israel and for the Jewish people was they had different customs. They had different food laws. They looked different. They didn't associate with people that weren't like them. And certainly by the time uh, we come to the New Testament in the time of Jesus, they were incredibly segregated from anyone else, they wanted to remove any negative influence, so much so that even within their own nation, you had people pushed to one side because they couldn't meet the laws that God, that they felt God wanted them to obey. The Jewish nation stayed different and distinctive by being separate. But that's not what it was like for those early Christians. There was a guy called Polycarp, he was a bishop of a place called Smyrna. And he was a disciple, he was taught by John, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ and writer of some of the New Testaments. And he was a, what we call a founding father of the church he was like the next generation after jesus's generation that first proper generation of christians and he starts to describe how those early christians were how they lived out their life and how they were distinctive how they were different from the society around them i'm just going to read to you some words that's that polycarp wrote about two thousand years ago for Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country, nor language, nor the customs which they observe. Following the customs of natives in respect to clothing, food. See, in other words, Polycarp's saying that outwardly there seems to be nothing to distinguish Christians from non-Christians, followers of Jesus, from people that didn't follow Jesus. They had the same customs, they wore the same clothes, they lived in the same places. But Polycarp goes on to say, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of a stranger. In other words, what's Polycarp is saying, that yes, they lived amongst society, but they didn't quite fit in. It wasn't what they would call their home. In fact, they were citizens of a different kingdom, of a different country, the country, the kingdom of gods. So outwardly they were the same, but actually they were distinguished by this citizenship of a different kingdom. He then goes on to say, they marry as do all. They beget children, they have children but they do not cast away foetuses. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. So what we see here is those early Christians are what we would call pro-life. They were anti-abortion, particularly at a time when so many unwanted baby girls were discarded, thrown away as rubbish. In fact, not only did Christians not do that, but they often rescued some of these babies and brought them up as their own. And also they had strict sexual ethics, unlike the society around them, or at least different to the society around them. They had a common table. They showed hospitality, but they didn't have a common bed. And this is perhaps how Christians are viewed today, particularly maybe in a more conservative uh, sense, that they're pro-life and they have strong sexual ethics, but in maybe through society's eyes, in a negative sense, that you would, they would argue that Christians are anti-choice. They're anti-freedom for women, and they are old-fashioned and restrictive of sexual freedoms but polycarp doesn't stop there he goes on to say these words they love all men and are persecuted by all they love all men and are persecuted by all and i really want to just dig a little bit deeper on that particular characteristic of the early christians and ask that a question is that a characteristic of christians today See, Jesus was asked by some experts of the law if you could sum up the whole law of God's, you know, into one law, then one commandment, then what would you say it is? And Jesus said, Well, it's to love your Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this clever clog says, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells them the story about this good Samaritan who rescues a Jewish guy who had been beaten, and he patches him up, pays for his hospital care, and looks after this guy. Now, that may sound great, but actually to the Jews, the Samaritans were the enemy. They were the hated race. They wanted nothing to do with them. And yet Jesus says, it's this Samaritan who was a neighbour. And then Jesus goes on to share these words in Matthew chapter five, part of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus describes what it means to be one of his followers. He says these words, verse 43 onwards, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect see i don't know if you watch those programs like diy sos where the whole community the whole neighborhood comes together to support a worthy cause someone that's maybe had a really difficult time through no fault of their own and they get together to build them a new house or make it more suitable for their needs and as a community society we love to support worthy causes. be it children in needs or donkey sanctuaries, if we see a cause that is worthy, we love to support it, but what about the unworthy causes? What about those people who annoy us, those people that don't agree with us, those people that maybe don't seem to match our own moral codes? What about those people who don't help themselves, those benefit scroungers, those people that just take, take, take and never give. How do we react to those? See, I remember in the church I was at in London, there was one particular lady who used to come along every Sunday evening to the service and she had some, a, a mental disability, some learning difficulties and that often came out in the inappropriate way that she reacted to people and interacted with people. And yet she came every Sunday evening, we welcomed her, even though sometimes she'd walk across the front of the stage, going, I'm just going to the toilets." But we enjoyed having her there with us, and we included her as part of our church, as did another church down the road that she went to in the mornings. But that's not how our local community viewed her. In fact, she'd been banned from the pub because of her behaviour. You see, as a culture we're quite happy to support worthy causes but when it comes to unworthy causes then we feel very differently in fact you could say that we have a cancel culture where anyone who doesn't match our ideal of morals or behavior then we we reject we have nothing to do with we try and remove any uh, conversation that we might have with them anyone who is different Anyone who is distinctive, whack them all, hit him on the head, knock him down, don't want to see them. Not only are we called as followers of Jesus to be different, to be distinctive, to stand out in the crowds, but we do that by loving those people who are different, who are distinctive, who stand out in the crowd. The unlovable, the unworthy, the out. If we just love those who are like us, if we only show hospitality to our friends, then we're no different than anyone else. If we only listen to those who agree with us, if we only have friends who match our moral codes, then we're not different to anyone else. We are called to be different. And the best way that we can do that is not by our morality, but by how we treat others. How we welcome the stranger and the unworthy into our community, into our churches, into our homes. So my question for you is, do you stand out? Not by your clothes, not by your customs, not by the fact that you attend church, on a Sunday morning, but because you love people just like God loves you. Be different, be distinct.